it's good to see everyone out this morning, uh, especially good any visitors that we have with us. We're studying 2 Corinthians uh, this quarter, and we're kind of towards the tail end of it. So we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12 uh, today. And so the hope is I get through 11 and some of 12 at least, because we've got one last Sunday uh, before this quarter ends and we transition on. Um, and so if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we've done, I'd like to start out by reading chapter 11, even though chapter 11 and chapter 12, or a lot of chapter 12, deals with this um, idea of Paul boasting or defending himself. Um, I, I wanted to keep that chapter division, at least for right now, uh, and read just chapter 11, and then when we get to it, we'll read chapter 12. So chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray by the simplicity the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear these beautifully. You bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made his evident, this evident to you in all things? Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches taking wages from them to serve you. And when I pre present, when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, that I may cut off opportunity from those whom desire, who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in this matter, about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as a foolish, even as foolish, <clears throat> that I also may boast a little. That which I am speaking, I'm not speaking as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since my boast, according, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak 
by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me be, without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness, that God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, in Damascus, the Intharch, under Aretas, the king was guarding the city of Damascenes in order to seize me, and I was led down in the basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hand. So going back to, to verse 1 or the beginning of this chapter, Paul starts out in through this through this chapter, but also the, the at least the beginning of chapter 12, goes into what he terms as foolish boasting, um, acting foolishly. He thinks he's acting foolishly in boasting or the need. Um, but he takes this path, this path of boasting or, or, I guess, advocating for himself, speaking up for himself, not really for himself, but to defend the church, to defend himself, to defend the word against these false teachers. And as we've said before, he shouldn't have to defend his credentials with this church. He spent time with them. He's taught them. He was one of those that helped establish the church from the beginning. And so, again, I think that's part of the reason he's using a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of irony throughout this, this um, chapter. Um, he's boasting out of concern for them, not boasting out of trying to raise himself up or make himself bigger than what he is. Uh, you can look in verse, the, the first few verses um, in, in chapter 11, um, in verse 2, his desire was to present them as a pure virgin, the church as a pure virgin, um, present them to Christ as that pure um, church to them, uh, to, to Christ. And I think back to First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, um, verses 9 through 11, where he, he makes reference to them being washed, them being sanctified, uh, being justified. And, and Paul is urging them to 
to ensure that that's what they're holding to, that purity, that sanctification, that holiness, um, not falling back into some of the things that we, we looked at in, in the previous quarters or that we looked at in 1 Corinthians. And we've looked at a little bit during 2 Corinthians, but that sexual immorality, the idolatry, the adultery um, that we read about, the homosexuality, that's all in those verses, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6 and verse 10. Uh, more importantly for our purposes today, he's wanting to make sure that they hold to the truth, that they don't turn to those false teachers and, uh, and attach themselves to the false teachers, that they're holding to the truth. Uh, and, and in that, he refers in verse 3, I'm afraid lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray. Uh, and I think it was uh, Bruce last week that, that made some ties back to that deception, the serpent, uh, how, how Eve was deceived by the, the serpent's guile. I think Paul is obviously making that point right here. Uh, they are being deceived uh, and goes on, we, as we'll look at later uh, in this chapter, and likens these false teachers uh, or directly aligns these false teachers to, to Satan and to, to his, wor his work rather than the work of Christ. Uh, and so Paul is using his boasting to defend against this, to use his boasting and in, in his credentials to give them confidence in the word and what he's teaching them. Um, and so in verse 4, we see Paul talking about them accepting a different message, a different offering. Uh, if anyone comes and preaches another Jesus um, or a different spirit or a different gospel, and again, a little bit of sarcasm, you've borne this or you bear this beautifully. Um, and so, again, the idea with these verses in particular is is their accepting of the false teaching and him trying to defend against it. Uh, I wanted to turn over to Galatians chapter 1 for a second, just a few, few pages over in your Bible. So Galatians 1, similar message that Paul delivered to the church at Galatia. Uh, verse, verse 6, uh, beginning... Uh, in Galatians chapter 1, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And so I really wanted us to think about verse 8 in particular. And again, it's the same message that he's presenting to the church at Corinth. But verse 8, but even if we, that is Paul and I would suggest the other apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we've already preached to you, they should be accursed. And so again, it's, it's showing how powerful, not not what, how powerful Paul is, but how powerful the word is and how we should hold the word above all other. Um, even if Paul came and preached a different gospel, he's saying he should be accursed. And so through this, Corinthians, through Galatians, all of the books, all the letters that Paul and the other apostles, there's consistency. There's consistency in message, there's consistency in word, and that's what Paul is saying is if, if someone comes to you diverting from that pattern, diverting from that consistency, 
they should be accursed. And that's where he's going with these, these verses in, in uh, 2 Corinthians also. Um, they should hold to the word um, in all things. He continues on in verses 5 through 15, um, comparing himself uh, or making a comparison with the false teachers. In, in verse 5, for I consider myself not the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. And again, I think here, um, obviously, uh, well, maybe not obviously. I think you, you see a little bit of sarcasm here. Um, again, not trying to puff himself up, um, but the, the false teachers were arguing that he was a lesser apostle based on the context of some of the verses we've looked at before, uh, that the other apostles were greater than he was, um, that they maybe were a better source of truth. Um, and, and some of that probably is a result of some of the comments he makes in verse 6. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge. So their accusations were he was unskilled in speech. Um, even though he might not have been a skilled speaker, uh, he had the power of God's word. And again, that's, that's where we as followers uh, and as students of the word should land, even if I'm not a good teacher. Uh, Y'all can save your comments about that. Even if I'm not a good teacher, that's not really what matters. It's the power in God's word. It's the power of his word in, in the words that are, that are written and given to us. Even if I do a horrible job at presenting um, these ideas. And don't get me wrong, we need to work hard and study and prepare and try to get our thoughts where it's clear and concise and it's a good message when we're taking time to study. That's not what I'm saying. It's more that it should be less about me as the teacher or Leland and David as the preacher. Um, they do a fantastic job, but it's less about them and it's, it's our focus should be on the word. Our focus should be not on the teacher, but on um, the ultimate teacher. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's first, we all know, speaking of Christ, uh, that's where our focus should be, not on me. And I think that's the point that Paul is trying to make here. Um, unskilled in speech, yet I'm, I am not so in knowledge. And so he's been given that inspired knowledge uh, from, from God. I think... Um, I don't have it up here, but 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, again, tying back to the first letter. He's not persuasive in words, but he is in the power of God. Um, and so in that, again, that's where we need to be focusing, and that's where he's encouraging the church at Corinth to focus. I'm going to pause for a second, kind of blown through a few verses pretty quickly, um, with the hope of getting through some of the um, the chapter and spending some time with some other play in some other areas, especially in chapter twelve. But I wanted to see if there are any comments um, or anything that anybody would like to add to relative to these the comments that I've made. I just wanted to say, um, false false teachers can be very um, smooth talkers, and they can they can persuade you into believing that what they're doing is is 
good and righteous, and then when you get involved, you realize how bad it really is, and by that time, it can be too late for you. So you need to really learn to study your Bible, and you need to learn what God's message is and to learn it the correct way, because if you don't, you can't stand against the false teacher. Yeah. And we're going to look at that a little bit more, especially in verses 13 and, and following where he, he really points to what those false teachers were and, and how we need to guard against that. So um, the, the last the last couple of points as he as he goes into to verses 7 through 12 he talks about refusing support and again this is something that we've talked about at length um, as far as the accusations that are against him so we're not going to dig into that but I think where we need to real quick is uh, he did this and, and he speaks to this it, the he refused support from them so that they so that there would not be a barrier as far as them accepting the word um, and accepting his teachings. Um, even though he had the right to be paid for his work, he gave up that right um, so, that, so that they would be more likely to receive his word fully and receive the word of God fully. Uh, he gave up that right to... to hopefully improve their confidence in his teachings. I think the one comment that I would make around that is it's, it's a little bit ironic. I'm sure that him giving up that's right and not accepting support probably strengthens some of the congregation's confidence in him, but obviously it turns some away. And so I think that although we might think about our actions and try to plan our actions uh, in our words, uh, in the best way possible, uh, always can be twisted. Even though we have the best of intentions, um, it can be twisted by those who want to stand against us and stand against the truth. Um, and so, again, which leads to why Paul is continuing to defend himself. Uh, in verse 10 and 10 through 12, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the region of Achaia. So again, I think he's speaking to he's not going to start accepting payment from them uh, just because they are standing against him. Uh, he's going to continue not accepting support from these churches um, as a result of it. Um, and so um, in this also, um, you see, as the truth of Christ is in me, verse 10, the boasting of mine will not be stopped in the region. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. Again, a little bit of sarcasm. But what I am doing, I will continue to do that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in this matter. So he's doing this to further defend himself and uh, defend the church against those that are standing in opposition. And not only those who are standing in opposition, but he says in verse 12, they're desiring to be made as apostles is how I read that. They're desiring to raise themselves up on the same level as the inspired writers of these letters that we, we have um, for our, our um, edification. And so he's doing all of this. He's continuing to do as he's been doing to defend and to, to stand up for the truth. Um, and, and we'll get into, as, as I alluded to, this idea of the boasters, these false prophets, 
are just that. They're false teachers. They're of Satan. In verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Um, so they're transforming or trying to transform themselves into apostles. Uh, and he says, it's no wonder Satan transforms himself and transforms himself into an angel of light. Uh, Let's turn over to, um, to John chapter 8 uh, real quick, a verse that kind of popped in my mind uh, as I was preparing for this. John chapter 8, verse 44. Um, Christ speaking, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to be in and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. In him. Whenever, he speaks, he, uh, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So again, speaking of Satan, speaking of, of these uh, people in, in uh, when Christ was speaking to that are trying to lead them astray. And similarly here in Corinthians, um, these are false teachers. Uh, in verse 13, such men are false teachers and deceitful workers. I think it's not only, this is based on those that wording, deceitful workers. It's not someone who's made an honest mistake and made an error on their PowerPoint slides or in their notes or what they've made a uh, comment just in error. I think there's a, a little bit of intentionality to this, a little bit of maliciousness to it that they're trying to pull these new Christians back into the, the Judaizing practices, back into circumcision, back into other things that, that pertain to the old law. So it's not simply a mistake or an error. Um, I think that there is some maliciousness to it. Uh, I think here the false teachers, uh, verse 15, uh, it's not surprising the servants, the servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So these false teachers, as is the case now, were using some truth. They were disguising themselves as those bringing in truth. Um, they'll twist the truth as they do now, they did then. Um, they may even teach some things accurately if it serves their purposes. Um, but in the end, it's not about Christ. It's not about teaching truth. It's about them and their own desires, their, their own goals. Uh, I thought about Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 14, Christ speaking, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They, will, they are blind guides of blind people. So speaking of that false teaching, uh, I thought about um, Acts chapter 17, that Berean test. We need to ensure... Um, when something doesn't pass the sniff test, when doesn't, something doesn't feel right, maybe not assume that they're wrong, but go use, use the scriptures. Um, the Berean test, they were examining the scriptures daily. That's when the apostles were teaching to them. They were examining to ensure the accuracy. And it's the same thing we need to do. If someone comes in from the outside we need to examine. If someone comes to us from the inside and it doesn't pass the test, we need to examine, doesn't pass the sniff test, we need to examine and ensure that what's being presented to us and what we're accepting, what we're aligning ourselves to is aligned to the scriptures. 
because uh, we sit, face these same issues today. I think about Acts, um, turn over to Acts chapter 20. Um, Acts 20 um, in verses 29 and 30. But I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, will, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So savage wolves will come in from outside, wolves disguising themselves as sheep. But, but scarier for me, men will rise from among you. And so we need to guard ourselves not only from those outside, but guard ourselves from those inside um, and make sure we're studying and um, defending the truth. Carrie uh, made the, the, the comment last week around the, the passages in Galatians that talk about, and we were talking about the battle that goes on, using that sword of the Spirit to defend, to, to put down those arguments. Uh, we need to ensure that we're, we're competent with that sword. We know the word and we can use it. So we continue on uh, Paul's reluctance to boast in verses 16 and following. Um, Paul explains in verse 20 of this chapter, the intentions are the goal of these false teachers. For you bear with anyone of... Uh, if anyone, I'm sorry, for you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. So the false teacher's goal is to enslave them, to tie them back to the old law, to, to lead them down the wrong path. I think about, um, you know, many passages in the, in the scriptures that we're all very familiar with that talk about um, that we're either slaves to righteousness or we're slaves to sin. Romans 6, verse 16 through 19. Um, we have a choice uh, and what he's arguing that they should guard themselves against is becoming a slave to, to unrighteousness. Uh, he's arguing that they should align themselves to uh, the word of God, to his teachings, to the teachings of the apostles. Um, but in that, again, he's using a little bit of sarcasm that they've, in their wisdom, verses 19 and following, uh, their own conceit, they've tolerated this, this false teaching, and they've become fools by relying on their own wisdom. Um, and again, these, these false teachers were, were devouring, were taking advantage of them, were exalting themselves um, for the purpose of, of enslaving <coughs> the church at Corinth. So I'm going to pause again and take a sip um, as I've kind of hustled through this and see, see if there are comments. His comments are, are reminiscent of the children of Israel who had just come out of a horrible bondage, and yet they wanted to go back because they wanted to go back to what they were familiar with, what they knew. They were entering into the unknown. They were learning how to uh, serve God and who God was, and it was a long process. And sometimes it's with Christians who are tempted to go back to what they, even though it was pain, they were comfortable because they knew what was going to happen. There was sort of a daily routine, we might say. 
rather than trust the invisible God in his word. And uh, by faith and trust, go into the unknown. Yeah, and I think you know, whether it's, it's that comfort or whether, you know, the, um, again, the, the false teachers can be extremely deceptive. You know, that I think that, think about whether it's our time or in this time, um, the time of the Corinthians, it's not like, like Satan is going to have a full frontal assault on us. He's going to come in and knock on the door um, and say, I'm going to lead you astray. And this is, no, it's going to be twisted into some truth. And so whether it's comfort that, that draws you back in there or whether it's those that are twisting the truth and adding to the truth and making it what they want it to be rather than what God would have it to be that can lead us astray. As we talked last week about Satan's uh, wiles, uh, the false teachers, because they're of Satan, appeal to deifying humanity. For lack of a better word, man knows more than God. God doesn't know how I feel. God doesn't know my situation. And so it's very easy for someone who is weak or someone who's experiencing uh, the difficult trials of this life to consider that just as Eve considered what Satan said. Satan presented himself here, as it says, as being wise, as an angel of light, someone who knows what he's talking about. After all, you know, he lived in heaven for a while. And so false teachers appeal to what we think is common sense, uh, but is foolishness. And it's easy to convince people if you appeal to their pride and ego. Well, and I, th I think it's a, a fantastic point. Um, and I think also, you think about this chapter and you think about the next chapter. If we use our, our earthly wisdom, there's an appeal to that. You know, you think about what Paul is, is going to and has spoken to in these chapters. All of the things he's endured, uh, we're going to look at um, in, in a second. We can go ahead and flip over to it, I guess. But beatings, stonings, shipwreck, all of these things that he's endured. Well, you present that the Christians at this time were enduring a lot. Um, seems like, especially the, the Christians that we've spoken to in Jerusalem, and it's very, you could see how it would be appealing if someone's coming to them going, okay, you don't have to deal with this. Paul's pushing you too much. You can come back over here and start doing some of these other things and everything will be okay with you. And then you won't have to endure beatings. You won't have to endure stonings. And so it's appealing but what, and, and then on top of that, if we use our wisdom and, and one of the points we're going to look at here in verse 29 and following is um, who is weak without being weak. That comment that Paul makes in that idea, not only in chapter 11, but in chapter 12 of through weakness, we see God's power. It's a very foreign subject for us as humans to go, okay, through through Christ's weakness, okay, through Christ's weakness, we see God's power. Through our weakness, we see God's power. Sorry. Um, 
it's a very foreign subject and it's and and you could see how in the moment when you're dealing with beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and and losing your living as we've talked about the the church in Jerusalem potentially had all of these things for someone to come in and go I got a better something Paul's taking it too far and so same thing can happen to us if we if we lose focus on where our hope should be and on the grace and the mercy that God has shown us it's very easy to be pulled away by by those things that would physically make our life easier Speaking of uh, false teachers or those who, who, who want to deceive, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 11 where it says, uh, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's the tendency. It's um, uh, when someone speaks from a, a false position, uh, they, will, they will tend to use a lot of words, a lot of persuasive words, uh, manipulation, uh, whether it be positive, like you're, you're talking about um, appealing to pride, or uh, negative in that, you know, anyone who opposes them, they attack. Um, there, there's that. But it, mostly you, you get a complexity um, from, from the, the, the person who's trying to oppose what the Bible says. And, and that's what I, I, I love about the word is it's it's pretty simple. If you know it, then it's you, you just say it. It's just there, um, and and it's those who have to coat their arguments with many many words that we have to watch for. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. So um, again, thank you guys for all of your comments. Um, we'll end up chapter 11 and try to transition into chapter 12. Um, when we look at this in verse 29 of chapter 11, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin with my, without my intense concern? Uh, again, you see Paul's, and again, I thought back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, this idea of weakness and simplicity, I think, is a great, great way to his message is simple, um, it, and I think that it, throughout the book of Second Corinthians, it, to kind of sum it up in a kind of a nutshell, is it's it's not about me. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about presenting the Word. It's not about my weakness. It's about His power, uh, and Paul trying to convey that to the the church at Corinth. And in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse um, 19 through 23, uh, for though I am free from all men, I made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. The Jew, I became a Jew that I might win Jews to those under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law. So again, Paul became all things to all men. He became weak to win souls. And again, very foreign concept when we think about man's logic and man's wisdom. Um, it's man wants to make things more complicated. Uh, man wants to not show weakness. Um, but Paul is here and in chapter 12, uh, really speaking to how weakness is and, and reliance on God is what we as Christians need to think about and focus on. Uh, we don't need to focus on ourselves. We need to focus on, on others and focus on our hope of heaven.
So I'm going to pause here before we transition into 12. I want to read chapter 12 and then try to get through part of that chapter um, so that we'll be able to finish up the book of 2 Corinthians. But I want to see if there's any other comments before we wrap up. Okay, so let's turn over to chapter 12 and read chapter 12. Um, in fact, why don't we, rather than reading it in its entirety, let's read maybe through, through verse 10 or so. Um, that might be a good, uh, actually through verse 13, that might be a good stopping point because um, I kind of, well, there's no way we're going to get through this entire chapter. So let's read through verse 13 and maybe get a couple of the points covered. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or, in the, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a man was called up to the third heaven, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows was called up to the par to, into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For if I do boast, to boast I shall be not, for if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times. It might depart from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostle, even though I am a nobody. The sign of a true apostle was performed among you with all perseverance, by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong." So again, he continues this idea of foolish boasting. And the first six verses of this chapter talks about this vision of paradise. Uh, and again, I think further proof, uh, he's further trying to, to assert his authority as an apostle here. Um, I think, first of all, in, in studying this, verse 1, it talks about going on to visions and revelation. I think it's interesting, just as a little side note, this word vision from a Greek standpoint is only used three other places in the New Testament. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 22, uh, visions received by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Um, in Luke chapter 24, as far as the women at Jesus' tomb. And then in Acts 26 with Saul on the road to Damascus. So it's not a word, it's not a term that's used throughout the scriptures 
so that's the first piece of it. Um, and it was interesting to me, uh, just the uniqueness maybe of, of this uh, passage. Um, but Paul goes on to boast in this individual. He's speaking in the third person who was called up to the third heaven. So I think probably most everyone knows third heaven from a, a Jewish perspective, first century perspective is heaven. The first would be the 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 uh, clouds and the air around us. The second would be the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the third would be heaven. But, but Paul, in again, third person, is talking about this vision, this person who has been called up or brought up to heaven. Uh, I think we can look at verses six and seven, and I think... Um, with a little bit of confidence, feel that this is Paul that was called up, or this is Paul, even though he's referring to it in the third person that experienced this. Uh, probably he speaks in the third person uh, because of his discomfort with boasting, as we've already talked to. Um, but it also could be so that they don't start exalting him beyond what he should be. Um, anything beyond being this word, this, this apostle, this worker, this servant, um, Paul doesn't boast here because he wants additional authority or additional recognition or anything to build himself up. He's doing this, again, to defend um, his teaching, to assert his authority as an apostle. Um, and so, Again, as we've said before, the only judgment um, of character that Paul was asking for was based on his words and his teaching. Uh, and again, I think, I think in verse 6, we read just this at the end of verse 6, so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So he's not looking for any recognition, any exaltation beyond what you see in him and you hear in him, the example he provides and the word he preaches. Um, and so we're not going to go into uh, a lot in this um, vision um, because there are not a lot of answers here. Um, and so uh, it's something that's debated throughout many writings. And um, I think the main takeaway here as we close um, is Paul is further asserting his authority as an apostle. Uh, I think that it's fair in concluding that some of these false teachers might have been asserting visions that they had had and asserting things, and he's trying to put that to rest. And we'll continue with that thought next week as we were finished chapter 12 and chapter 13. The one thing I would ask everybody to maybe spend a couple of minutes thinking about uh, in preparation for next week is verse 9. So I want to sp spend some time on, on the response that Paul got in relation to the, his request to have the thorn removed. So thank you for your comments.